Welcome to Showcasing.eu with Pedro Telos. This week, we'll be talking about medical and gaming entrepreneurship in Europe with Timo Ahopelto, the CEO of Lifeline Ventures, an early-stage startup accelerated based in Finland dedicated solely to health, web, and gaming products. Welcome, Timo. Thanks, Pedro. Thank you for coming to the show. Thanks, it's my great pleasure. <laughs> Timo, the first question that I have for you today is based on your background. Um, you had a long experience dealing with startups uh, for the last or during the last decade. So could you go a little bit through that that experience with CRF Elf, please? Uh, yes. Um, so my first, uh, I mean, I've been the, I've been entrepreneur for the whole of my life. And um, maybe my first uh, kind of internationally uh, serious company was a, a company called CRF Health, uh, which is uh, the current market leader for electronic patient diaries for clinical R&D. So basically when a, a top 20 uh, global pharmaceutical company wants to develop new drugs, uh, they need to collect patient data, and, and that data has been uh, gathered on paper uh, traditionally, kind of leading into very poor data quality and very lengthy, uh, tedious process. And, and, and the company uh, that I co-founded transformed that process into electronic PDAs, mobile phones, and other ways uh, to, to have the data direct electronically from the patient. And we founded the company in 2000, and then it very quickly uh, grew as the number one in, in, in that market. Um, currently, uh, the company is number one in Europe. Uh, it's number one in the US. Uh, it's number one globally uh, for the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, the revenues are, are, are well uh, above 30 million euros, and, and, and the company is, is nicely profitable. And um, I guess... It's actually one of the only European software companies and, and probably the only Finnish uh, software company that can claim a, a number one. Uh, so, so from that uh, point of view, it, it was a nice exercise. And, uh, and, and of course, we were drawn to the U.S. because the global pharmaceutical industry is, is drawn or, or kind of guided from the U.S., and, and I was in that company until 2006 um, in the role of founding CEO first. Um, then I was heading uh, sales and operations, so customer deliveries. And, and, and then I was heading sales. And, and then I did also a couple of spin-outs uh, for personal health management and uh, using the same technology in pharmaceutical marketing. Uh, going, going back to CRF Elf, they're only operating in the trials uh, market. So it's not a general electronic records uh, company or medical electronics uh, records company. No, it's not. Um, we have a, and that's something that we have actually been praised, uh, you know, by, by business people quite a lot is that, I mean, we are a typical case study of a company who has a very clear market that it serves. So transforming electronic, pa or transforming paper diaries into electronic. That's the market. The customer is a global pharmaceutical industry, 80% of that being from the US and, and 20% uh, from, from Europe. And uh, with those two spin-outs, um, the company started to expand in 2006 into what we call uh, kind of a keeping track on their own health. And then using the same for the pharmaceutical marketing, so compliance management, different type of uh, post-marketing tracking programs and so forth. 
but kind of 95% of the company is in clinical trials. And you decided to leave the company in 2006? Uh, yes. So basically, yeah, yeah. So basically, like every entrepreneur becomes a little bit kind of a restless at, at some stage. And I've been always uh, trying to, uh, you know, learn new things in my life. And, uh, and uh, in, two, in the early 2006, I, I already knew the industry extremely well. Uh, we had a, a very capable management in place at CRF, including CEO and VP sales and all the other people in the management team, truly international, uh, kind of the top people from the industry. Uh, and I felt that I want to do something new. And, and, and then uh, Pekka Alapietila uh, called me. Uh, he, he was just stepping down from Nokia uh, as a deputy CEO and, and uh, he had this idea about uh, transforming uh, media industry and telecoms industry by bringing uh, advertising funded mobile telephony uh, into the market. And, uh, and, and then very quickly, after a few weeks, I actually found myself again in a small office with a uh, with handful of people and Pekka and, and, and transforming uh, his idea in the reality of this uh, mobile ad-funded uh, operator for young people. And then I spent three and a half years there. So, so I was responsible on strategy, um, new countries, uh, advertising sales and advertising products and, and, and working with a very broad spectrum of things. And it was very interesting because uh, I was already kind of starting to label myself as a health man. So working with the health startups <laughs> and, and I'm working with, I, I had a couple of CEO posts for very promising kind of health IT startups and all that. But I actually thought that to do again something which I haven't done before. So going into the media industry would be interesting. And, and Blick uh, had an extremely good promise. It still has extremely good team. It still has a very good team in place. And, uh, and, and that's why I decided to join. And you decided at the time to leave the advertising company that you has helped create with Peta? Uh, yeah. So, so basically after Blick, uh, three and a half years uh, with, with Blick, um, I again kind of uh, became maybe a little bit kind of restless there. It, it seems that entrepreneurs need to switch every three to five years. And, uh, and then we had this idea with Petteri Koponen, uh, who is my colleague at Lifeline Ventures and a longtime friend, uh, about starting a, how would I say, systematic uh, early stage kind of angel investment company in Finland. So nobody has been doing this really systematically on a large scale. I mean, there are individual people who have done it, but investing in the early stage companies as a profession, nobody has really done it in Finland. And then we decided to do that because we feel that in the Finnish kind of a startup ecosystem, there's a lot of positive things happening. And, and if you want to be in the market, uh, you know, to work with the best startups when the, when the tide is rising, that the time is right now. And, and also we both, myself and Petteri, wanted to do something on our own. And, and we had a couple of startup ideas, but we decided to, to found Lifeline Ventures. In a sense, you decided to move to the other side. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, but we are doing this very. People have been saying that you know now we are now we have moved to the dark side. So so we became like <laughs> ugly anymore. This and giving you know their, their ratings for different business plans and you know throwing entrepreneurs out of the room. But but that's not really the case. I, I mean, we decided that 
uh, we want to work as investors also like we would work as entrepreneurs. You know, our cost base is very small. We have an 11 square meter office that we are sharing with Petteri, um, you know, full of papers and then everything. So somebody should clean it <laughs> probably one day. <laughs> but but <laughs> the, the second thing is that uh, we are really seeking for the teams of entrepreneurs where we can add value. And, and, and what we mean by adding value is being able to work in the very early stage with the best entrepreneurs in Finland uh, through their problems and challenges. And, and, and they might be strategic, so, so making the key decision very early in the company where to focus. Uh, they might be even very executive type of challenges, like with Valky, uh, Bright Light Headset, currently kind of interim CEO for the company. And I used to be kind of VP of sales for the company because they were lacking uh, you know, that piece of a puzzle uh, within the very strong founding team. Um, so, so that's the second thing is that we enjoy kind of a deeply diving into the companies. And, and what we have found out as a feedback from the entrepreneurs is that they value our involvement and our investment very highly uh, for the reason that we are able to contribute. And, and I almost describe it in a way that if you have been entrepreneur many times in your life, you have faced these same challenges many times in the life and you know how difficult it is to actually push through those first three years and what type of, you know, emotional and, you know, professional, how would I say, roller coaster an entrepreneur who is starting new is, is going through. And, uh, and, and, and that's really it. So we are ready to roll our sleeves and, and, and then take part into the challenge. Very recently, there was a leaked email um, by one of Facebook's former former first employees uh, that wanted to invest on Airbnb, or at least was was asked to invest on Airbnb on a new round that they're raising, and he did a, a number of, of of he made a number of comments on Airbnb strategy. But one of the most striking comments for me was his direct assumption. That in the valley, in general, uh, entrepreneurs in the in the in web companies do not value investors for more than their money. They don't see them as uh, bringing anything else to the table apart from money and eventually contacts. Yeah, hello? it's actually yeah. Hello, I can hear. Yeah, um, it's it's actually very interesting this because then on the other hand. Uh, what is our strategy with the companies we work with is always to get the best investors to join. And, uh, and, and we feel that that is actually very critical. I mean, investors are not going to make the companies. So the founders and the teams need to make the companies. There's nobody who can, you know, sit on the board and do miracles because in startups, it's all about, of course, strategic choices, but it's all about execution. So you need to just be faster with less resources than anybody else. So you need to, you know, deliver something every day, right? And, uh, but then on the other hand, if you think about our companies where we have co-investors like HealthCap in, in, in Oncos Therapeutics, uh, we have Esther Dyson in Valky, Bright Light Headset, um, we have Index Ventures, uh, London Venture Partners, and Initial Capital in in grey area. 
kind of a location-based game. Uh, I mean, they are actually, I, I would say that at least these people we have been able to attract uh, together with the founders for the companies we work with, they are actually adding a tremendous amount of value. And I'm not just saying this because I'm supposed to say it, but I actually mean, but I actually mean, <laughs> but I actually mean it. And, and maybe it is that we have been able to select the investors who, who we believe add value. For example, in case of Onkos, um, you know, the experience that HealthCap partners are bringing is actually quite invaluable, even in, you know, the clinical trial design decisions, which are highly operational, highly scientific, highly clinical, because, you know, all the value of biotech companies are in their first trials at that stage. And, and, and the kind of experience they can bring on, on, on the trial design that delivers the results that the industry is looking is, is tremendous. The same thing goes with the kind of a starting company. Uh, just kind of seeing many games companies grow or fail, uh, you know, the insight into the metrics, uh, insight into the rollout plan and these type of things. Uh, we actually feel that uh, there is added value. And, and then if you go back to Silicon Valley and to the email you referred of course, I don't know the background of that and, and who are the investors in question and, and, and all that. But then on the other hand, with the kind of the best Silicon Valley investors as well, they are highly valued by the entrepreneurs with the support they are giving uh, where needed and, and, and then the free hands vision in brackets in, in the areas where the supervision is not needed. So, so in that sense, I, I don't think that that's the whole truth. So there are investors also who can add value. And, and then we, of course, want to add value at Lifeline Ventures via our own model, which is kind of a highly, you know, deeply involved into how the companies are grown. And what are you looking for in the companies that invest? Yeah, in? that's a good question. Uh, we are looking for three things. Uh, the first one is, and this, we don't say this because of, jargon, but uh, but we are looking for <laughs> companies who can lead or create a category. Everybody has been looking for categories for like 20 years, but, but we actually mean it. Uh, unless a company can very clearly define what is the category they are after, or you could say that what's the market they are after, like CRF, electronic patient diaries, right? It's very clear. Um, Skype that we are right now using, it used to be internet uh, telephony company. It's very clear. Um, so, so we want the founder team to come up with a very clear description of the market or category that they are either going to create or they are going to lead. That's the number one. Then the number two uh, re- kind of a criteria is kind of a hundred million euro exit uh, possible. And uh, that's not true with all companies, which can be really good companies, and, and they can be very profitable businesses and profitable exits. But, but we don't want to work with those ones. We want to work with global uh, kind of a category of market leaders who have an and exit potential in them. And, and then the third one is a scalable founding team, or at least one of the founders being able to work in a kind of a CXO role until exit. And we have somehow, everybody is saying that you need to have a good management team, a strong management. Uh, and we have been trying to think that what is the single most important thing within this good management team uh, 
for us and, and uh, what kind of summarizes our experience. And it really is that if there is even one person who can grow with the company in the management team until exit, then it means that it's easy to build the management team around that person. It's easy for that person to argument the company's vision, uh, represent the company from the very beginning. And, and we have been just kind of seeing that even if, if the companies lack that single person or in the best case, multiple people going anywhere, even the beginning, we have a couple of companies where we have invested and we thought that that's a great idea. Uh, the founders are maybe good for the ne- next like a uh, two years, but then, you know, everybody needs to be replaced, uh, to strengthen the team. But for, so- do the founders know that? Uh, yeah, typically <laughs> they actually do. Typically they actually do. So they typically, so yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. And, and, you know, when we go there, it's very important that everybody has a, a realistic, uh, kind of a view on their skills and capabilities. It, it can be, for example, that like, you know, we have a, you know, scientific software startup, right? And then you have a couple of PhD who have put the company together and it's a fantastic idea and totally unmet, you know, need in the market. And, and, and you can say that it's a hundred million exit if it goes well. And on that, you know, market acquisition activity is, is, is very, very vivid. So there's a lot of acquisitions done. So the exit kind of a path is very clear as well, unless you IPO. Uh, but, but then the founders are saying that, you know, we have this idea, we have this patent and, and we can work in a science team or we can do this and that. Working with that type of companies or, or startup projects, as we could even call them, is that they are going nowhere. So they can't attract anybody to join. Uh, they can't attract the first client. Uh, it's very difficult for them to get partners and, and all that. So, so you need to have somebody who is really scalable to work in a big, you know, in a, not the big company, but the bigger company and grow, you know, intelligent enough and experienced enough and capable and skillful enough to grow with the company as, as part of its management team. And if you, if you don't see that on a founding team, you don't have a problem in negotiating a possible exits of the founding team before, uh, the final exit of the company. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but, but then, 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 then basically, uh, it's very important for, for us that when we are doing the investment, so when we make the initial investment, there is at least one person like that among the founders. So it, someone that, it, that, that primarily, can take it to the exit. Yeah. So somebody who can be there and it can be like CTO, chief science, customer deliveries, you know, VP research. It can be whatever role on the management team level. It doesn't need to be CEO or it doesn't need to be, you know, VP marketing or not even an outgoing you know, outside role. It can also be internal role in the company, but it's very important that there's somebody in the founding team who can have that role until the end. If you can discuss um, the types of investment that you do, uh, what are the conditions usually attached? Uh, you, do you consider yourselves angel investors, as you said at the start? Yeah, we are considering ourselves as angel investors. So uh, typically, uh, we are investing into companies even before they are starting. So the most typical case, if you look at the 16, so one, six investments that we have done so far is that either the team has just been starting or it's a very experienced team who have an idea about the company 
and, and, and then they come to us and talk, and, and, and then we are primarily investing, like I said, there's a category, there's 100 million exit, and then there's a good team with a CXO scalable founder, at least one founder. And, and, and if all of these are in place, we can go in very early. So, so even before the companies are founded, you know, 80% of our investments are into the companies who have not launched the product or not even had the product before or at the time when we invested. So we go extremely early. And if you look at the companies we have, probably some 80 or 90% of them are also run by serial entrepreneurs, which we are considering being extremely important. And, and if you think about the Finnish startup ecosystem, uh, for the first time we have serial entrepreneurs right now, and if not serial entrepreneurs, people who have been working in multiple startups, so they know, you know, what to do and, and what type of environment, you know, drives success. Yeah, but my, my question was more focused on the conditions of your investment. Uh, if you can go through that, that line, if you cannot, we'll just move on. Uh, yeah, okay, sorry. So, so it, it, I mean, we are making the investments on a very, how would I say, traditional terms. So, and I'm very kind of a founder friendly, I, I would say as well. <laughs> I, I would say as well. Um, I mean, we have, we don't have a complicated, you know, things. Uh, we are using the series seed.fi. So there's, uh, you know, adapted to the Finnish um, kind of a legal system. You can you can check it seriously.fi. So we are using those templates. So there's a traditional, you know, investor protection rights. Uh, you know, very light anti-dilution and, and liquidation preferences. Not the ugliest ones, but the very kind of founder-friendly ones. <laughs> um, typically, uh, you know, the pre-product or even the pre-company. Valuations. They, of course, range, are ranging a lot, uh, depending on on the company you're investing and the type of the team and you know the maturity of the market and all the factors. But but in Finland, um, they are typically, I would say, between half a million to two million. So the range two million is the utmost high, and five hundred thousand pre-money valuation is is the very lowest uh, typically. And and in our investment uh, at that stage is let's say from 50 to 200,000 euros. So, so typically it's of, of the recent investments. And, and, and then the idea that we have is that the money that we put in, so the money that we invest needs to be sufficient uh, to develop into the next stage. So, so meaning a kind of alpha version of the product or, or certain level of is being gained in a way that uh, um, during the next like six months, we can start attracting kind of a tier one value-adding international uh, experienced investors to join. And, and, and that's the project we do together with the founders is that we kind of think that how should we develop the company to, to, to prove to the world that we actually are as good as we think we are. And, and we have been very successful in that. So basically all of the companies who we have invested into uh, and who have started to raise that type of money have been successful. And, um, and like I said, we have 16 companies and we have been doing this for 20 months. And what are the plans for the future? How many companies do you see yourself investing in? Because you said that you, you have a reasonably hands-on hands approach. Yeah. For yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but typically the hands-on approach uh, 
also is is, is very limited in, in in time. You know, uh, if you think about successful startup, uh, they actually scale so fast that it's very difficult to be hands-on and value-adding, you know, after nine months, even after six months in some cases. So if you have a startup that is really kind of uh, starting to fly, if there would be an investor or outsider who is not really working in the office or, or in the kind of inner circle on a daily basis, the all of the time of the founders would just go to update that one person because there's so many things happening in a startup. So, so typically kind of our deep involvement is in the very uh, first like a six month, nine month period where the company is, you know, defining and refining its product or offering. So, so finding the famous kind of a product market fit. And, and then when they start seeking the next round of our kind of a deepest involvement is, and, and, and then after that, uh, we are getting into, how would I say, to the regular kind of a follow on and, and a monitoring role because then, or what the, how would I say, what, what any investor would do, um, because, uh, of course, kind of our, there you only have a 24 hours in a day. So, so, so you can't do everything with any, anybody. And, and that's our model really is, is to go then relatively quickly from company to company once they are kind of mature enough and, and well funded enough after our, our initial investment. And, and, and the feedback from the VCs that we work with and, and who have invested into our companies have been very positive. So they're feeling in a way that, uh, with our investment and involvement early on, uh, the companies are kind of in the right, how would I say, they're kind of a, most typically going to the right direction with the founding team having the right about what the business will be. So it's very easy for them to jump in. And then of course, the, if we are investing like 100, 150,000, uh, typically these guys in the next phase are investing like a 1 million plus and, 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 and they are taking a very active kind of a board strategic role in the companies and, and then they assume to have that. And, and, and then even, uh, for example, one of our companies, Supercell, uh, just raised, uh, 8 million, uh, euro B round, uh, from Axel Partners. And, and of course, Peter is still the chairman of the board in that company, but kind of being that hands on, is not possible anymore because the company is going that fast and you have a lot of kind of a very high value adding investors, kind of a regular normal board work. And, and, and then unfortunately, we also have the companies which are not going anywhere. And then typically the founders know it as well. And, and, and then unfortunately with those companies, uh, we also need to focus elsewhere. So, so, so with the kind of ideas that have been proven that they don't work, uh, it's it's no use to spend anybody's time anymore. So so there we need to be a little bit. I would not say harsh, but we need to use our judgment of of course where to spend our own time. And what happens uh, in those companies? Do they do you move them to liquidation? Uh, no, they typically uh, they typically uh, then continue iterating. So in in many cases, uh, the companies are relatively fa- well funded because they still have. Like, I mean, on the web, web startups, for example, 150,000 euros is a lot of money because typically the teams are like three or four people, right? And the cost of building and iterating the business is very, very small. Um, 
some of them have raised additional funding from elsewhere, and some of them have even kind of after our investment being able to raise with us a seed round. So, so they actually have cash available to continue iterating, but it's just in a way that our involvement is, is, is getting smaller, uh, typically at that stage. And I know that it's a little bit kind of hard to say this way, but I mean, everybody's working this way, whether they say it or not. Uh, yeah. Of course. Timo, we're getting to the half hour mark and I've got a, a couple of, of final questions for you. The first one is, why have you dedicated um, Lifeline Ventures to health, web and gaming products? Why those uh, can, you, can you repeat, please? Sure. Uh, my question is, why have you focused Lifeline Ventures on health, web and gaming products? Yeah, that's very good. So, so basically, if you think... Uh, that's where our experience from. So, so myself as uh, kind of a seer of health and, and I'm following um, many kind of medical devices, biotech and, and other companies kind of growing or failing and, and being advisor to many entrepreneurs on that side. Um, then I have some experience on digital media uh, from Blick. Uh, if you think about the other guy, uh, Petteri Koponen, whose experience is, is, for example, in Chaiku, the microblogging service that was actually launching the same day as Twitter. And, and, and then uh, he and his co-founder decided <laughs> to sell it, sell it to Google uh, in 2007. Um, Petteri's experience is coming from the online world, so, so web and games companies. Uh, and so, so that's where our experience is from. Uh, the second point is that we actually believe that... Uh, uh, in the crossroads of these two areas. So taking the entertainment, customer engagement and all of the web and games industries and, and marrying those together with the today very conservative health uh, is actually producing new opportunities. And Valky, Bright Light Headset and the way how it's brought to a good example where we have applied those. And then the third thing uh, is that we believe that in Finland, uh, Currently, those two areas are extremely prominent. So if you think about games, uh, we have, of course, Angry Birds. Uh, we have right now Supercell that is racing. Uh, we have Gray Area in our portfolio. We have Amplifier that is the biggest cross-promotion network of games in, so in Facebook. Uh, so we start to have this kind of ecosystem building around gaming companies. And, and some people, I think that it might be a little bit premature, but some people are even saying that you have a three gaming hubs or games in the world. The other one is, of course, in Silicon Valley. Then you have Berlin and then you have Helsinki. So, and, and people are still <laughs> saying that in Helsinki, uh, you know, the amount of high quality people with not so crazy salaries is, is actually the best in the world. So we actually genuinely believe that Helsinki and, and Finland will develop into some type of a gaming hub. Uh, in, in the future within the next kind of a two to five years. So, so that's why we want to be part of that. Uh, thing is from the health uh, side, uh, and especially medical devices, we have currently two companies who are coming from the Nokia breed. So, so Nokia engineers are extremely good in, in doing uh, mass scalable, robust, uh, relatively usable electronic devices. So, 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 yeah. So, so again, like, uh, I was using relatively usable, but, but, yes, but yes. if you look at the, if you look at the ones who are in our portfolio, so, 
uh, Valky, it's only a one button and you get you 10 minutes of, of bright light every day. If you look at Mendo, uh, the blood glucose monitor, whose only unique selling point is like 10 seconds from pocket to pocket. So instead of young uh, diabetics uh, needing to, you know, install this almost like a home lab type of a testing kit in the front of their friends, which they are ashamed of doing and don't want to do, they can just kind of a pull device you know, measure it in 10 seconds without nobody noticing and put it back. So in, in, in that sense, both of those two companies are kind of largely the device capabilities coming from ex-Nokia, uh, you know, capable hardware and mechanics engineers. And, and, and I believe that there's more. And then again, when you marry that capability to health, uh, we have a belief and, and there's some evidence as well behind it is that medical devices are all moving towards consumer electronics. So it's not anymore okay for you to be a diabetic or asthmatic patient and using this ugly, bulky, you know, base color device. People want to use, you know, iPhone-looking devices, right? And and uh, it's, just, it's... Just like happened with the glasses. Sorry? Just like happened with the glasses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a good, I've never thought it this way, but, uh, I mean, it has happened with everything. So mobile phone is a great example. So it used to be a professional tool, right? And, and I really kind of, uh, not ugly, but kind of, uh, how would I say, not maybe the focus and usability in the center. And I, right now over 15 years, they have moved into the every, you know, young parent, housewife wants to be profiled as an iPhone user or, or user of a, a modern smartphone. So people are starting to profile themselves via tech. I think right now, think MedTech, that's almost like the only ivory tower uh, that is still existing in like home electronics and personal technology because it has been regulatorily so difficult to get in there. But that's not true. In medical devices, if you... T- things properly, you are able to get your medical device certification, whether it's class one, two, or three. And uh, I would almost claim that there are other companies than the current medtech companies who are better in developing medical, really user-friendly electronics solutions for the consumers. So if the current medtech companies like Medtronics, uh, you know, don't change, I think that the Sony's and, you know, Apple's and, and all these guys are, are coming to eat their breakfast. So they're coming into this industry with the devices that people actually want to use. So they are not using them because they need to use, but they actually want to use. Very well, Timo. Uh, I think our time is up. Um, I just have uh, a final thank you for you for accepting to, to coming on the show. Very good. Thanks, Petro, for, for very uh, relevant questions. And I hope it, it's, it's going to be useful.